0: On October the 10th, 1918, in Carleton County, Minnesota, the northeastern part of the state near the border of Wisconsin, two men were working near a set of railroad tracks as a train passed. Now, This was very normal occurrence at this time in this place as during this time period, uh, the railways were the main mode of shipping and transportation. But as these trains, or as this train passed, quickly, these men noticed something. They noticed a spark that had started a small fire burning through the grass close by piles of wood. This fire started very small, catching the dry grass nearby on fire and moving to piles of wood, but the fire continued to grow as it was met with what historians noted were the perfect conditions for a fire to grow in this area. You see, the year that this fire started was a year where there there was a clear drought in the area. This was an open area full of harvested farmland, and those drought-like conditions met with high winds and a lack of firefighting equipment made this fire one that was not easily extinguishable. Soon, that one small fire grew and turned into 50 small fires that combined over the next two days to create the deadliest wildfire in the 20th century and the worst natural disaster in Minnesota history. Over the two days that those fires raged in this area, this area that was previously known for logging and was now becoming a very well-off prosperous economy due to the farming that was going on there, was largely destroyed as the fires burned a total of 250,000 acres, killing 453 people and wounding 52,000 others, destroying today's equivalent of $1.256 billion in property damage. Now this fire, the fire that started and burned up this entire community, originally started by a small spark. But as that spark was met with the perfect conditions, it turned into literally a historic major national disaster. In a much greater sense, as we turn to the book of Acts this morning we're going to see a spark becoming a flame and causing an even bigger and more impactful phenomenon than any of the history of the world. But yet the flame and the fire that we see here is for our good and for God's glory. Because of the, p- the spark that we're going to be talking about this morning is that of Jesus Christ. And as we finish celebrating this Christmas season... We remember, just like this fire that was started, that Jesus was born in an unexpected place, a humble place, where we wouldn't expect such a huge phenomenon to occur. Jesus was born inside a stable where his head was literally uh, stayed on a cattle stall. This was no place that we would imagine royalty to live. And yet as we see Jesus' life, as we see his work his profession as a humble carpenter and as we see him in all the different ways that God allowed him to dwell in humanity here on earth it wouldn't be one that we often think of as royalty Yet at this unexpected place, a spark was created that began to turn into a flame through Jesus' life and ministry as He preached, as He performed miracles, as He rebuked religious teachers of the day, and as He ushered in a new covenant. Then Jesus' death on the cross, His burial and resurrection occurred, and it's after that where we see this flame, the spark that turned into a flame, turn into a fire that is still burning across the entire world a flame that's burned into each and every one of our hearts here if we call ourselves followers of Christ the book of Acts shares with us how that spark became a raging fire and this morning we're going to begin looking at this book that we're going to be looking at primarily through the rest of this year and I'm sure as years to come as it's a very large book And we're going to be looking at the introduction to this book here this morning as we look at the first five verses of the text. So as we begin, I just want to read those first five verses together in Acts chapter 1, and I hope that you'll follow along with me. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he had presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the with the holy spirit not many days from now. As we open up this book, we first see the author of this text, and the author is known as Luke, who the apostle Paul called the beloved physician in Colossians 4:14. As we open up this book, we see that it starts a little bit differently than many other texts do. Where Luke's introduction both here And in his other gospel, the gospel of Luke, includes a prologue, includes an address that no other New Testament book does. Now similarly along with that, these are the only two books that are addressed to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus was the man who was the original recipient of these books, and Luke is the one who really most scholars would pretty much across the board agree with, was the author of both Luke and Acts. He was the one who addressed Theophilus in both of these. Theophilus' name meaning lover of God. And while we don't know too much about this man, it's believed that he was some type of government official. He was someone who scholars say was likely the man who gave Luke the financial support needed so that he would have times to author these books, which would make sense if you were a man of great power and authority and means. So, as we look here with Theophilus, we'll come back to him here in a little bit. Let's focus, though, really on who Luke was. Because Paul referred to Luke as the beloved physician. But as well, he also referred to him in Philemon as, the, as his fellow laborer. So we clearly know two things about Luke. We know that he's a physician by trade and that he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, he's also the only New Testament writer who's clearly identifiable as a non Jew, but we don't know too much about him other than that. In fact, outside of a title in the Bible, we only see Luke's name mentioned three times throughout the entire New Testament. In this book, the book of Acts, we see Luke joining Paul in his second missionary journey in Acts 16. And really, we learn the most about this man from his writing as far as his personality and a little bit about who he is. As we study this book and as we study the book of Luke, based on his command of the Greek language, it's believed that Luke was a well-educated man, that he was an observant writer who loved to travel, that he was a historian who in his writings shared meticulous details That's probably why the Gospel of Luke is the longest gospel that we see in the Bible. And interestingly, if you were to combine the book of Luke and the book of Acts, you would find that you have one-third of the entire New Testament just in those two books. Now, it's clear from Luke's writing style that he liked to tell a good story. And his writing included clear details of the story as well as comprehensive summaries of events that affected the characters in the story. Within the book of Acts, we see a great flow of action as the book goes from event to event, summarizing as needed throughout. And so as we see Luke's writing here, let's second address the background of the book of Acts Because as we study the book of Acts, we see that it is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. It opens up right after this Gospel has concluded. In fact, Luke mentions this. He says right at the beginning, in the first book, O Theophilus, in the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So what did he address in the the Gospel of Luke? He addressed Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, in just a moment, we'll talk about what he addresses specifically here within the book of Acts. But we see through this book that what Luke is mainly addressing is that of what happens after Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, as we study this book, many scholars believe that the book of Acts was written in A.D. 70, or 70 years after Jesus' death. Now, as the book is written, it begins with the setting of Jerusalem, but continues on to Rome. In fact, if we were to look at a map, you can see up in the top corner there, the square there that shares that this book begins in Jerusalem and spreads from there to where the apostles' local context, to, from Jerusalem to Judea, their local area, to Samaria, the nearby area, farther out to the ends of the earth after they go to Judea that we see from here the gospel being shared out until it even reaches out here in places like Delaware, Ohio, far from where it was originally shared. Now, the Greek word translated acts was used to describe the achievements of great men. If you look at your Bibles, many of you will notice a title like the one that mine has, which is the Acts of the Apostles. This book shares the achievements of the apostles as they ministered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we look here within this book, we see that the book of Acts tells us the story of what happens after Jesus' ministry, and it does so with great action. Much like when we studied the book of Mark, there isn't a lot of downtime in this book. It moves quickly from story to story, recounting miracle after miracle, quickly giving us the history and days of the last church, but doing so thoroughly, as is part of Luke's personality. Now, the book of Acts is often written in episodic form, so you can think of it similarly to what you would like a favorite television show of yours, where the book often moves from highlighting one individual incident to another and at times providing a summary or broad generalization about the life of the church at the time and place where it's found in the book. Similarly, the book follows a very similar pattern throughout the majority of it. You can find this on the backside of your notes if you're following along with your bulletin. And I found this in the ESV study Bible and decided to make a graphic with it that I thought would be helpful. The pattern that we often see within the book of Acts begins with Christian leaders arriving and preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. As they do that, listeners are converted and added to the church. As listeners are converted and added to the church, opponents come, often Jewish, sometimes non-Jewish or Gentile, and begin to persecute Christian leaders within the church, But yet, we continue to see God intervening to either rescue the leaders or otherwise protect the church. And as we study this book, we're going to see that oftentimes it got messy and oftentimes Christian leaders were persecuted for their faith and sometimes martyred or killed. As we see throughout this text that those who choose to follow Jesus count the cost in doing so. They deal with suffering. They deal with pain. They deal with, at times, torture or martyrdom. Yet God protects His church. He sovereignly works in protecting His church, and, in fact, the Bible tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. I loved what one commentary shared, the the Believer's Bible commentary about this book. It shares that the Acts of the Apostles is the only inspired church history. It is also the first church history and the only primary church history to cover the earliest days of the faith. All others merely draw on Luke's work. We would be at a total loss without this book. Going from the life of our Lord in the Gospels right into the epistles would be a tremendous leap. Who were the congregations being addressed? And how did they come to be? Acts answers these and many other questions. It is a bridge not only between the life of Christ and the Christ life taught in the epistles, but it is also a transitional link between Judaism and Christianity, between the law and grace. And so that we see that the book that we're going to be studying is a book that is incredibly important in the overall structure of the Bible. It's a unique book and the only one that's like it. And so I want to take some time as we go through this to make sure that we understand the book of Acts within its context within the rest of scriptures. And so to do that, I'm going to share a modified illustration that I previously shared when we were studying the book of Mark and looking at the crucifixion. And I want to again share with you, and this is that other uh, graphic that's there within your bulletin, that of Freitag's triangle. Now, Gustav Freitag was a German novelist, and he wrote down the elements needed to write an effective dramatic story. Now, there are five elements needed to to create a dramatic arc and a story, and we see them all clearly being used in the greatest story ever written, the true story that's found in the Bible. And so if we were going to write a dramatic story, we would begin with the exposition of the story. The exposition introduces the audience to the story by sharing information about the story's setting, its characters, and a general sense of the upcoming story. Within the Bible, we would find that in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, which introduce us to how the world was created, how God created and fashioned all things, to the main characters of the story of God, of Adam and Eve, It introduces us to our need for our Savior because of our sin against God, because of the law which we are never able to measure up. And based on the law, we cannot restore in and of ourselves our relationship with God. Then we see the rising action, which takes up the largest part of most works of literature. It's comprised of the important events of the story that lead to the climax. These events and elements present conflicts and challenges for the protagonist of the story to deal with. We see that in the historical books through the life of Christ. As we continue to see the history of God's chosen people, the Israelites, as we continue to see our need for a Savior, the one who would fulfill the law, we see the foreshadowing of that Messiah within the Old Testament, and then we begin to read through the Gospels and we see Jesus who was both fully God and fully man. We see that he was the perfect sinless sacrifice needed to atone for our sins. And then we reach the climax, the climactic point of the story, the point of highest tension. That's the point where all of the events within the story have been leading to this moment. And after the climax, nothing can be the same we find that in the cross of Christ, the climactic event of Jesus' death to atone for our sins. Where after we see Jesus' death, we see His burial and resurrection, the events that everything on the Bible hinges on. Then we find ourselves here within the book of Acts, the events right after those climactic events, the beginning of the falling action. The falling action occurs right after the climax where the main problem of the story is resolved. And this is the final moment where any remaining conflicts in the plot are tied up and taken care of. And that's what Acts does much of for us. Acts resolves what happens after Jesus' ministry on earth. It shares with us the history of the church and gives us insight into what our focus and mission should be as a church today. As the previous commentary I shared shares with us, we would be at a loss if we just moved into the epistles without knowing or understanding God's plan for the church. As well, it's so good for us to be able to see the example of early church leaders, of how they sacrificed for their faith, and the examples that we can take and learn from them. Finally, though, we see the what's called the denouement, or the conclusion of the story. And this is when the main conflict is resolved and the story ends. We know this is Revelation, ultimately, where God wins, where Jesus comes back, and those who are found in Christ win as well. And so we see that Acts is a really important part of our Bible. And as well, it's a really fun book for us to read. And so I think it's one that we're going to really enjoy going through together. But if we were to sum up, to boil down the purpose of the book of Acts, we would say this, that Luke wrote this book to help others have an accurate account of the spread of Christianity. If I were to summarize it even further, Luke accounts for how a spark became a fire. How this spark, the humble birth of Jesus Christ, grew into a flame and now is a fire that has touched each of our lives here within this room. So what I want to do with the majority of the rest of our time is to look at the main characters within these five verses and within the text, and as well to look at the major themes within this book. So let's move our attention to now to the main characters within this book. As we shared that the Greek word translated, Acts, was used to describe the achievements of great men. And throughout the book, this book, we see God working through great men, but I want to focus first of all on the greatest man and that's of Jesus Christ. Because even though he's just in the book for a short time physically, we see Jesus' presence clearly throughout the teaching, the preaching, and the work of this book. Looking at the beginning of this book, it shares with us in verse 1, "...in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. Verse 3, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The ministry and teaching of Jesus Christ remains a vital part of this book. And as we see this, we see that there was clearly no doubt that it was Jesus who was teaching these men. In verse 3, it says that there were many proofs. Some other translations that you may have use the words convincing proofs, or I really like this one, infallible proofs. What that means is the Greek word here is only used here within the New Testament and means that something is confirmed or is verified in a decisive way. I love the way the Moody Bible Commentary puts it, and it states that the evidence of Jesus being resurrected was so clear that it could be used in an official trial. These apostles clearly knew that it was Jesus who came to them. It was clear. There was no doubt that He was the resurrected Christ. And as we see Jesus speaking here, one of the things that it shares with us that we'll address more at a later time is that he spoke of the kingdom of God and the kingdom work that these men would be doing as as, as they established the church and as they ministered to other people. The kingdom and what the kingdom is, is a major piece of this book. In fact, earlier this week, I called Pastor Scott to run a sermon point by him and I said, or as I was talking to him about it, he said, I'm working ahead on the sermons for the next few weeks and I'm doing a study on the kingdom of God. Why is he doing a study on that? Because in future weeks, it's going to be a major point of what we're looking at in this book. But as we see these men here, interestingly, we see Jesus ordering these men to stay in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem after the events of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, was a place that they probably didn't want to stay at too bad. This would be a place where there could have been much danger and unrest. But he told them to wait there. And his reason was because the Holy Spirit, he said, was going to come upon them at the day of Pentecost. It was there then the Holy Spirit would descend upon them, and that parallels luke's first book the gospel of luke chapter 24 verse 49 where he says and behold i am sending the promise of my father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high jesus's presence even though he ascends back into heaven at the right hand of the father is felt throughout this book jesus ushered in a new covenant and it's what these men preach and proclaim. Secondly, and we've talked about them some, we see the Holy Spirit throughout this book. The Holy Spirit is referenced more in the book of Acts than it is in any other book of the Bible. In the book Biblical Doctrine, John MacArthur's team notes that two hundred of the 245 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the New Testament, 56 of those nearly 23% come from the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit is the one part of the Trinity that I think so often is the easiest for us to either gloss over or not have much of an understanding about. And I think there's many reasons for that. I think one of the key reasons for that is we see far too many churches taking the Holy Spirit and perverting what the Bible says about Him in such a way that they are either adding things or twisting things in Scripture to say that the Holy Spirit is doing things or leading them to do things that are unbiblical. Additionally with that, I think it's just really hard for us to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it's a non-material being. And it's easy for us to relate to the ministry of Jesus Christ because he was fully human just like us. As well, we see anthropomorphisms, we see examples in the Bible of descriptions of God where we can clearly relate to them. Whereas though God may not have a hand, it talks about his hand being stretched out, where we can relate to his love for us or different things that we see within the text. But yet, as we study the Holy Spirit, it can be a difficult difficult doctrine and difficult person for us to understand. And so, as we look at the Holy Spirit, shameless plug here, but one that I hope that you'll find helpful. Just an FYI, in two of the last three weeks, we have released podcasts specifically on what our church doctrine is regarding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of pneumatology. And I would encourage you, if you have questions on this, to check those out. To understand and know what the Bible says about the third person of the Trinity and what we believe about Him. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, sharing all the same absolute attributes of God the Father and of God the Son, yet He has His own unique role in creation and within our lives as believers. He's omnipresent at all places, at all times, and has been before the foundation of the world, just as God the Father and God the Son are. He is omnipotent, all-powerful, and never lacking in power. He is omniscient, knowing all things just as God the Father and God the Son do. He is all-loving, completely loving, meaning that he, as He is absolute in all of His attributes, just as God the Father and God the Son are, the Holy Spirit literally could not love you any more than He possibly does. He could not be any more just, any more truth, any more of all those attributes, yet He does so in His unique role, in His unique way. As we study the Holy Spirit, we see that as... The Holy Spirit is present here within the New Testament, it's a little bit different than what we see in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, we often see examples of the Spirit descending on a person for a short time and leaving them. Here in the New Testament, we see something much differently. Because as we look here within verse 2, we see Jesus giving the commands to the apostles through the Holy Spirit, and just as Jesus was giving these instructions and commands to the apostles, it shares with us that the Holy Spirit empowered these men to be able to correctly understand and obey them. It says that he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And so as we see this gift of the Holy Spirit, we should account and know that of all the gifts that God has given us and blessed us with, one of the greatest of which is that of the Holy Spirit. And it's incredibly important that we as believers understand the power of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, and how we should respond to the Holy Spirit's promptings in our life. As we continue on in this text, continuing to talk about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in verse 4, "...and while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father." What's that promise? It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. "...which He said," Jesus speaking here, the words are in red, "...you heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." Not many days from now. Many of these men had been baptized by John with water, but this was an outward physical baptism. As we share here, this was a baptism that showed signs of an inward change. This new baptism that they would receive would be inward and spiritual. It was not simply an outward identification as the baptism by water was, but the Holy Spirit made these men members of the true body of Christ and would empower them for the work of the ministry that they performed. As we see the work and power of the Holy Spirit here, we see the ways that God enabled these men supernaturally, many times in ways that we cannot do today for the work of ministry. And so we see the vital importance of the Holy Spirit here within this book, arguably to a greater extent than we do in any other book. Finally then, we're going to see the apostles. And as we do an introduction to this text today, I'm not going to focus specifically on any one apostle, but them in general. And as we see the apostles here within the Bible, we see that the apostles were the disciples that were chosen and sent out by Jesus. Now, originally, this would have been the 12 disciples, but later in this chapter of Acts, Matthias is chosen to replace Judas, who betrayed Jesus and hung himself. Paul is also considered an apostle as Jesus' is saving It miraculously changed his life and is a major part of this book and of the overall story and arc of the Bible as well. But the apostles were men that Jesus were talking to in this book right here at the beginning, and then we see the other two as well. And as he was talking to them through the power of the Holy Spirit, these men preached, performed miracles, and led the church through it as it began. Now, in future weeks, we're going to discuss what it truly means to be an apostle. But for now, I'll say that we as a church do not believe that the role of an apostle is available for anyone today. Some churches do believe that. It's a doctrine called apostolic succession, where they believe that there are literally bishops or men that are present today that are still apostles. We do not believe that. We believe that the only true apostles were the apostles that were clearly listed as such in the Bible and no one else. Now, often when we think of the apostles in the book of Acts, we think of their leadership in the early days of the church. We think of the miracles as well that they performed. But I found it very interesting as as I studied for this that nearly one third of the book of Acts includes sermons or speeches done by the apostles. Much like in Jesus' ministry, we see the sermons being shared as a major part of his teaching. There are ten major messages shared within the book of Acts, with Peter sharing three of them, with Stephen sharing one, and with Paul sharing six. And so as we study this book, we're not only going to be looking at the miracles or the early workings of the church, the blueprints of it, but we're going to be looking at the speeches, the sermons that these men shared. And so then, as we conclude our time, let's look, move from the main characters to the main themes that are found within this book. Let's look at the major themes within this book. And the first one that I think we have seen and we will clearly see is the history and growth of the true church. Through this book, we will see the building of God's church as God planned and designed for before the foundation of time we trace our lineage as a true church back to the book of Acts. And as we study this book, we'll be able to see in a clearer way how God, even in the mess as humans often make it, had his plans for his true church, the church that stands to this day, that is facing political and cultural opposition just as they were during that time at an even heightened and greater sense during that time. And we see how God worked together, or God worked as man was obedient and grew the church. I think it's going to be good and interesting for us as well as we study the history and growth of the church to discern prescriptive and descriptive text within the Bible. Because very often folks can look at the book of Acts and they can look at a description of something. And prescribe that's the way it should be done. And so we'll be working through various examples of that within the church. We just talked about one with how a person can become an apostle. We're going to be looking here later in this chapter about that of casting lots. And casting lots was a practice previously done at Delaware Bible Church that our leadership does not do to this day. And we can talk through that and explain that. But we're going to see the history and growth of the church, why they did things a certain way, and why we do them a certain way today as well. As well as we walk through these, we're going to see Christian witness and God's sovereignty. Time and time again, we see the boldness of the apostles in this book as they walked in obedience to God throughout this book and throughout church history. We see the messes that they got into, and yet we see God sovereignly working in each of these situations. Much throughout the rest of church history, we do not see that it was not without consequence here in this world, but we see men clearly walking in obedience, and women as well, who walked in obedience to God, who suffered for the cause of Christ, yet they knew what they were suffering for was so much greater than anything that they could obtain on this earth. Christian witness and God's sovereignty are major themes throughout this book. And personally, as I read this book, I'm encouraged to read of these imperfect people that God used through the power of the Holy Spirit in a mighty way to do kingdom work, to do the work of the ministry. And that should serve as examples for us as well. Finally, then, we see the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is truly one of God's most incredible gifts that He has gifted us with. And as we learn and study more about the power of the Holy Spirit, about how He indwells inside of us and how He indwelled in the apostles, allowing them to perform miraculous signs and miracles unlike unlike anything that we can do today, as they healed people, as they performed all of these wonderful, incredible deeds, signs and wonders, we will see how He works in our life as well. And so as we look at this book, we see history. We see witness and God's sovereignty. We see the power of the Holy Spirit. We see a whole lot of action, and it's going to be a fun and enjoyable book for us to go through as a church. I just have one other means of application to bring to your attention and something for you to consider for this week. Let's say it's a challenge that I'm going to try to do, and I hope that you try to do as well. Let's consider for this week reading through the book of Acts over the next week with a good study Bible. In order to read through the entire book this week, starting today, all you have to do is read four chapters of the book each day. Now, if reading is laborious to you, I can tell you that the book of Acts is one of the most enjoyable audio Bible books that you can go through. As it is one, again, very episodic and lots of action. Moving from event to event to event. So if you say, I can't read that. I can't do that much in a day. Or if you get behind. I think if you sit down and maybe take an hour's worth of work that you normally would be doing Whether it's something, I like to read the Bible sometimes when I'm folding laundry or doing uh, something menial like that. But consider to yourself, can I read through this book over the next week as a a primer to get me going for the study that's going to be ahead? If you need a good study Bible, the one that I I most highly recommend is the ESV study Bible. There are many other good ones out there, and we'd love to give you some good resources there. You can ask one of the pastors. We'll help you see if it's a great fit for you. But consider, can I read this book four chapters a day over the next week? Maybe for you, that could be a good New Year's resolution to start today, reading through this book. But as we study and look through this book, I am sure, as the other books have been, it's going to help us know and learn more about our faith, about who God is and what he's done for us and about the church. Let's look to the Lord in prayer together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Bible, of your Word. Lord, you tell us in your Word, and we know that it's true, that it has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, from the law to the historical books to the prophets to the gospel to revelation and to where we find ourselves here in the book of Acts. And Lord, as we study this book I pray that it would be one that would be incredibly applicable and helpful for our church. Lord, there's truly no other book of the Bible like this one. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to find clear applications each week in our personal time in your word and in our corporate time together. Lord, help us to see the example within the book of Acts the example of the importance of gathering together, the example of the importance of the church the example of importance of godly men as we saw here within our own church today help us to learn much from these truths help us to honor and glorify you through them lord as we leave here today i pray that we would be an example as churches in the book of acts were to us lord that this community would see the fire that's in our hearts and lives based on the work that started with just a spark and is stable. And Lord, that this community would be changed based on the power of the Holy Spirit working in your people here in Delaware, Ohio. Thank you for this time together. Lord, help us to make much of our time apart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.